this week's episode of Juice in the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I'm one of your hosts, Corwin Miller. And uh, we're a week late. Suck my dick. I don't give a shit. It's what it is. That's why you're here for our loud personalities and our lack of timeliness. So welcome Ayo. to it. And it's a day late. So it's, it's a week and a day late. So further suck my dick. I think this is the furthest we've had to push a podcast since we started. Maybe. Could be. Sounds right. Um, yeah. So we are here today to talk about the 1999 film Fight Club and the 1986 film Highlander. Corwin, where do you want to start today? I don't care. All right, let's start with Fight Club, because that's the one I said first. That's the one I saw second, so suck my dick. All right, well, Fight Club came out in 2019. It was directed by David Fincher, screenplay mm. by Jim Ools, and novel, based on the novel, by Chuck Palahniuk. No idea if that said right. It stars Brad Pitt. Edward Norton, and then the third build actor is actually Meatloaf, although it should probably be Helena Bonham Carter, but <laughs> yes, regardless. Um, yeah. It had an estimated budget of $63 million and a cumulative worldwide gross of $101 million. So it earned its money back plus a little extra, but not by a ton. This is more of a cult classic film than it really is a box office smash. And again, obviously it made its money back. So it, it clearly turned uh, a profit, at least based on uh, production costs, not necessarily marketing costs, but um, gained a lot of popularity after it had had its theatrical run. Uh, this movie's tagline is how much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? Which is... By all means, actually a kind of good tagline. Honestly, top three tagline we've read on the show. We, I feel like at some point we should have decided to write these things down so we could actually like see which was the worst. But yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Top three. Uh, this film was also nominated for one Oscar. It did not win, but it was nominated for Best Effects Sound Effects Editing for Ren Kleiss, which is absolutely a name i thought i read wrong which is why i stuttered um and richard hymns um sure this film is about an insomniac office worker and a devil may care soap maker form an underground fight club that evolves into much more which makes it sound like it's about mm -hmm. gay fucking but it is not um broke back fight club this was my film so i will get us started uh, so I have not seen this movie in a while and mm, same. yeah, cause you know, it's not one of those ones you feel like you constantly need to go back to, you know, obviously I don't think there's spoiler alerts for a movie that came out literally last century. So um, mm. when you know, a, when a film feels not necessarily is, but feels like the twist is a big part of it. I think it decentivizes the need to rewatch. And even though this film really like, Obviously, the turn at the end is a huge part of how you're supposed to interpret, you know, the two hours prior. This film does not rely upon the, the turn, but still knowing that there is a turn, I think you kind of build it up to be the thing. And since you know and remember that thing, 
you might not be like, oh, I don't really remember what else happened in that movie because you can isolate it and boil it all movie. down to that thing. We reviewed it. Huh? We reviewed that movie. It was pretty okay. What movie? The Thing. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> um, and so I really had pushed a lot of this out of my mind. And I really recall, like if you had asked me before this rewatch, like, what is my recollection of Fight Club? It would be a lot more after the club had opened. Like, after they started the fights, it'd yes. be a lot more of, like, the the army they were amassing in the in the rundown house and all that shit. And really, all that shit's, like, the last 45 minutes. Like, the hour yep. and a half before it is not that. And I had forgotten so much. I completely forgot the whole thing about how... Um, Ed Norton and Helena Bottom Carner had met at the support group thing and had like a, uh, you know, whole back and forth about who got to go to the support groups. I, f- I forgot most of this movie. And so it was really nice getting the chance to rewatch it and kind of sink my teeth into it again and relate to it a lot more as now someone who works in an office setting. Um, and to really gain much more an appreciation of what this movie is trying to do that is so different from a lot of, I'm not going to say other movies that came out around its time, but kind of other movies like mm-hmm. the, the, the sheer want for nihilistic chaos in this film <laughs> is so stark from every other expression. I think of either of those two concepts that you've seen in, too many movies prior to this and to really see it laid out how little of a fuck anybody cares about much of anything (laughs) while also (laughs) seeking damage and destruction but for like an almost introspective and also societal benefit is fascinating so can you repeat that sentence because I feel like there was a lot of big words there that I missed that was a very long sentence. I'm not sure I can. <laughs> the gist of it. Um, to the expression of like nihilistic chaos, as a as you see these guys who clearly care about nothing but a want for you know sheer destruction for both no gain and as well as a societal benefit with a component of introspection is very interesting. I agree. And I guess what I have to say is, wow, God, I sound like a fifth grader writing his first essay. What I have to say is in conclusion, in (laughs) conclusion, first of all, secondly, thirdly, um, fuck, I can do all I wrote wrote essays like that in college. So (laughs) don't even feel bad, man. (laughs) You do what you got to (laughs) do. Um, but what I was going to say is I think I've seen this movie fully only once and watching it now a second time, knowing the twist and knowing, you know, the relationship between Tyler Durden and Edward Norton. Um, that's what's his character's name. He doesn't have one. Uh, okay. That makes sense because I think there was like the narration is a lot to do with, 
exactly that like him saying it's just like a guy that makes more sense now awesome um but what i should say is the fuck me why are words so difficult and why is my train of thought just like absolute shit um holy shit josh this is an issue you got this buddy i believe in you what the fuck was i trying to say I'm a goldfish. (laughs) (sighs) Knowing the relationship that they have and being able to see those little cues, those little indicators, little, I don't want to say Easter eggs because it's by all means details for the story and, and meant to be noticed, but seeing those little things that indicate, oh shit, it's the same guy, how, you know, they communicate with, um, Helen Bone Carter. God, I'm not even going to attempt that name right now um helen i want to call her helen how they relate to you know the members of the cult the people around them just how no one ever actually communicates with either of them in the same room um it's a it's fucking cool you know it's a movie i always thought was overrated like oh like guys latch on to it you know ego boost oh fight club i could beat the shit out of you it's all about not caring and just you know fucking doesn't matter man just beat the shit out of them and that's all you need to do watching it again david fincher's fucking phenomenal i mean i've already loved his films for so long this was always kind of like oh yeah he did the you know cult classic you know beat him up movie whatever it's what fight club is and just watching it again and being able to appreciate it for all that it is and all that it's worth is fucking fantastic it was such a great movie yeah because you know especially when you watch this as a younger person and obviously you know like i'm only 26 so it's not like i'm fucking old but you know like i this movie came out when i was four so i mean i very much so i probably watched this when i was like 13 14 um as again josh always watches those yeah um but i think you know you see when you see it as a younger person Mm -hmm. uh it's easy to focus on the fighting like you said, like it's very easy to make this into in your mind be like a yeah, fuck him up kind of movie. Right. But you know, like I had forgotten the line that is ultimately the tagline of this fucking movie. That is, you know, you don't know who you are unless you've gotten in a fight. Mm-hmm. You know, and the idea being that there is a journey of self-discovery taking place here. And when you ultimately right. get the reveal of, you know, the psychotic break that Edward Norton's character had had that led to the existence of Tyler Durden. Obviously that is meant to, you know, exemplify his ongoing battle with insomnia and his fragile mental state. Uh, and you can interpret the f- whereabouts or the, the coming to the fragility of that mental state. However it is, you feel like you need to or want to, uh, but it is interesting to go back and, you know, realize that he is putting himself through all of these experiences and doing everything he is doing in some part, in some way, because he's searching for himself. And that's very obvious once you finish the movie, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. you know, if you, it's your first time watching it, or if you haven't seen it since, you know, you were young, like us, you know, a a long significant period of time ago, it, uh, you, you forget that shit. And so it is so interesting seeing all of this, wrought chaos 
this you know wanton destruction for no reason other than fuck yourself fuck your face go start a fight with somebody as a recruiting tool but like don't tell them about it you know like Mm -hmm. there's a subliminal messaging to all of these things and to kind of get to interpret where that is what that means where that comes from and find some find a purpose in it or choose to embrace it solely nihilistically because honestly, neither one's wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm about it. It was nice to see how clear it is that it's amazing. Okay. Hold on. That was quite redundant. It was very interesting to see exactly how easy it is for some people to miss that kind of, again, I don't want to say subliminal message, but that, understate not it's not even understated it's just the thing that's not the most obvious thing in the world which is fighting good but in fact you know self-discovery sleep deprivation is kind of a big deal shit like that just why so many people latch on to such a specific aspect of this film with kind of that idea that Yeah, fucking whatever. I'm giving up on words today. It was easy to see why. Yeah, and you know, I think if this movie came out now, it would feel a little sophomoric, and it might not, you know, attach the same way that it did in '99 because it was very different for '99. I don't think it would, you know, feel quite the same today. Yep. Um, and you know, if you were to watch this with a 2021 sensibility you also might find it to be philosophically or or visually sophomoric on your own but i i do think you know it coming from the spot that it did was very Mm -hmm. apt and made it a lot easier to kind of connect with and i will also share the reason Mm. the uh, behind the idea for this novel, because again, this is based on a book, and I think this is probably one of the best book to movie adaptations we're ever going to review, in part just because I have not read the book. But okay. this is one of, because I was going to say, this is one of the few times where it is not Im- imminently evident that this was a book. And very, mm-hmm. very frequently we have that come up. Um, so anyway, the if author, you... Chuck. Sorry, keep going. Palanyuk, I will never get that right, came up with the idea for the book after he had gotten beaten up on a camping trip when he told some other campers to turn on the radio. And when he went back to his job, which was a a, a desk job like Ed Norton's character in in the movie, no one said anything about the fact that he was all fucked up. And they would just kind of, and apparently they would say normal shit like, how was your weekend? And just completely ignored the fact that he was all fucked up. And Chuck Palahniuk concluded that the reason people reacted this way was because if they asked him what had happened, a degree of personal interaction would be necessary. And his workmates simply didn't care enough to connect with him on that personal level. Hmm. And that's what inspired him to make this book, write this book. My first thought would have been, there's no way that this guy didn't just beat the shit out of like get the shit beat out of him and that's just not an interaction i want to have saying like hey how's life getting mugged i don't know i like his idea better though 
and I think the movie worked out a hell of a lot better. Um, but I was going to say, do you think this film would have been almost seen in a similar vein of like a Suicide Squad or one of those kind of tone deaf, but really just kind of cheesy, trying too hard action films? It's tough to say. This has a big budget. And it has a big budget mm-hmm. for 99. It has a big budget for today. A, 90, a $63 million movie. I mean, that's that's a lot of money for what is ultimately kind of just an indie film, uh, mm-hmm. even today. It's, it's, I don't think it'd be, oh man. See, that's the, that's the hard part. I think Suicide Squad is actually a pretty good guess for where it might be. Right. Because it's tough to get a film this pulpy on this budget. Like the nineties was great for that. Right. Uh, well, nineties and before, but the nineties specifically, I mean, just in, you know, that decade you had, you know, Tarantino doing his thing with reservoir dogs and mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction. And then, and, you know, movies like this, that all got budgets, you know, decent sized budgets to do stuff and then made, you know, grittier, but high production value stuff like this. And I think that if this movie was made today, and a studio wanted to throw its its weight behind it, I think you might be right. I think it might have ended up more like a Suicide Squad, not necessarily the, like, kind of goofiness that's the Suicide Squad movies have had, but definitely in the... Mm, Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> the, the chintzy stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like the, oh, this? Like, we're, we're doing this now? The yeah. very overboard, very flashy. Yeah. I think you're probably right. Cool. What's a what do you think a good comparison for this would be? Like if there's a better one than Suicide Squad? Well, I wouldn't compare this to Suicide Squad per se. Right, I wouldn't either. So like do you know what or have one offhand that you think would be a good comparison for it? I'm not sure I do. No. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I'd necessarily have one off the cuff either. The first one that jumps out to me, and I'm not saying that this makes it an especially good comparison, but it's the first one that jumps out to me, is Dog Day Afternoon. Hmm. See, I don't think I would compare it because I feel like this one is... Like, I get the self-discovery. I get the... It's just like the tone of the movie is so different, I feel like, for Dog Day Afternoon. Because you're rooting for the guy in Dog Day Afternoon. Like, you want him and his, you know achieve not achievements but you want this to all work out for him in the end and i i kind of was torn like it i wasn't actively rooting against the character but at the same time i didn't feel anything that compelled me to you know want him to succeed more so i guess they also really weren't trying to achieve much it was really just either way I'm not going to attempt um, to dig into the inner machinations of my mind where I can barely put a sentence together. They are an enigma. The inner machinations of my mind are an enigma. Uh, so obviously because this film is all about uh, seeing Ed Norton's character's worldview as you also experience his declining mental states and as he builds a um, cult army pick your 
poison doesn't really matter uh there's a lot that could be said about individual points in the film uh, i don't have any too specifically worth bringing up uh do you um would you live in that house no yeah i don't think there's part of me you know you watch this and you're like man part of me really wants to be able to just kind of let all of that go and just kind of accept life for what it is just like living to the you know the highest emotional fulfillment living to you know self-fulfillment all of that stuff and the rest of me is just kind of like well that's just a really shit way to live life and i i don't i like showers i like clean water electricity when it's dark out or when it's raining i should say i like the comforts of life and i think that's part of where if you're going to say this movie feels a bit dated which is you know something i said some people in watching in 2021 might that philosophically is a point where i think it feels a little bit dated because i think there was a point right in this era like like literally mm-hmm. especially like the 99 to 01 era you know when technology was really cutting into people's pockets and into the offices and all that and there was a larger greater sense of on the grid and so because of that there was a larger and greater sense of self-righteousness and being off the grid and Mm -hmm. removing yourselves from the luxuries of life having some sense of superiority uh, because you did it and you got out of there and you're not part of the capitalist regime man and that's still very much so a sentiment I think people have today, but I think we also recognize it in a different way. I think we have come to recognize that we are unwitting participants in capitalism and removing yourself from the system doesn't mean anything in a grand sense because of the way this, that's the structure of society is set up. And so to see that be a point makes sense for this era but I don't think it would have the same effect if it was done today, because I think we've gotten past this point of I'm throwing away my phone and moving to a cabin in the woods, or I'm shutting down my laptop and I'm living in destitute on the outskirts of town. I think we've gotten past that as being uh, Mm -hmm. seen as a virtue. And I feel like part of it too is also, this was kind of when that technology curve was really shooting up and just growing exponentially and really starting to make a difference, but it wasn't quite at the point where it is completely captivating our lives to the extent it is now where like, yeah, going off the grid in 1999 is, you know, something you can do relatively easy, but there's also, not a whole ton that's getting in the way of doing so and living a normal life. Like he still went to work every day. He still was able to do all the normal stuff he was able to do. It just really was okay. The weekends after work, eventually, you know, getting the quote unquote consulting job. Yeah. That changed it a little bit. But if you did that today, you would be both seen as a crazy person and there is a much you know, higher level you could probably achieve of you know, fulfillment by turning away as much as we have. But it's also so much harder to do. 
like could you imagine just avoiding technology to that extent today you would be so completely just exiled from society right and i you know i i think part of that is there was like you said like there was such an influx of it at that time so you know people hadn't adjust like you know there was a everyone who was getting a cell phone at that point in time 99% of people who were getting cell phones did not grow right. up with cell phones they exactly. just like they like you and i corwin grew up with granted like flip phones were were still a thing when we were kids mm-hmm. but i had one you know yeah it didn't same. work but i had one i did too um <laughs> but like you know but we grew up with cell phones and so the idea of going cold turkey wouldn't register to us the same way it would register to someone in the 90s who you could hearken back to a point in time when they were a kid in like the 80s or the 70s. And yeah, there were cell phones in the 80s, but I mean, unless you were living in fucking lower Manhattan, like no one fucking had them. They were not real. They were a loose concept. Um, you know, when you had nothing. It was a big you know, deal that Jerry Seinfeld had one in his car. <laughs> oh my God, the car phones. Yeah. Um, but you know, like that wouldn't connect the same way today because the idea of living a more, uh, self-sustaining life, I don't think comes at the expense of modern, um, pleasantries like it did in the time of this movie. Like if you and I were to do whatever we had to do to detach ourselves from the weightiness of society and go find our own way for a few months to achieve some sense of inner peace or enlightenment i don't think that comes at the expense of stuff like tv and and phones and all that shit because of just the era you know right and like if you were to do that today you would lose just a insane amount of relationships and just connections that you have with people like if you were to come out of it and try to go back to your normal life you wouldn't be able to like you don't no. see a friend for you know a couple months, that's fine because it's you're just not really running into them. You're just you're have your own life and that's kind of it. Now it's like all right, there's no excuse to not keep in touch with somebody mm-hmm. all the time. So if you don't, well, that's kind of a big deal. What a lovely conversation this movie has sparked. Yeah, I think this is the best off-topic conversation we've had as a result of talking about one of these movies. I don't even think it's that off-topic. No, it's not, which is what makes it such a good conversation. So I hate to cut it short, but at the same time, we do have another movie to talk about. So, Which will um, lead to just as much stimulating and in-depth conversation. I, I, I wait with bated breath. Uh, just, just to put a bow on Fight Club, final ratings and reviews, this was my movie, so I'll start. Um. I struggle to think of how I'm going to rate this because it is so different than I recall it. And it had so much more of the parts that didn't stand out to me at, you know, in my recollection. And so part of me wants to be like, well, it's not the movie I thought it was, but that's a stupid reason to knock points off. So I think I'm giving this, I think I'm giving this a solid four. Um, If not, maybe a little bit higher because I, I, I did draw a decent amount out of it more than I really thought I would. Cause also part of my recollection of this movie is that it is a little bit, you know, brutish in, in what it's trying to get across. But I, I think I, I got a lot more out of it than I was expecting on this rewatch. And, 
And I think that's, that's given it at least a four for me. I like that. Um, it's brutishness. Brutishness is something that if I watched it at the time and was, you know, a brown nosing high and mighty, you know, movie snob, I would say is absolutely ludicrous and bullshit and ruins the experience for trying to cater to a lower common denominator, whatever bullshit you want to, you know, argue. But at the same time, seeing how so many people kind of miss the point and hyper focus on that is hilarious. And I think at this point kind of adds to the message of what it's trying to say. Um, so I'm going to give this a full five. I don't have any issues with this film and I genuinely enjoy it. Right on, man. I'm, I'm, I'm fucking about it. I was really worried one or both of us would hate this on the rewatch. So I'm really glad we really? had hmm. quite the opposite reaction. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad as well. All right. Let's take this over <sighs> to 1986 and talk about Highlander, which was directed by Highlander. Russell Russell Mulcahy? Mulcahy. Written by Peter Bellwood and Larry Ferguson. Story by Gregory Wyden. This film stars Christopher Lambert, Sean Connery, and Clancy Brown. This movie had an estimated budget of $16 million. Oh, God. An accumulative worldwide gross of $5.9 million. What was the budget? $16 million. Oh, oh my boy. God. That is a bad little turnaround. I was not expecting those figures. <laughs> no, not even close to those figures. I, I don't know why, you know, maybe this is because I'm not from the 80s. I am I am a 90s baby. Um, I was expecting this to have been like a bad theatrical success. And wow, was it not? <laughs> oh, okay. I genuinely thought this was a very popular 80s movie. I, I did too. Oh, God. Uh, for reference, that $16 million budget in 1986 would translate to about $40 million in today's money. Um, and that $5.9 million would translate to $14.6 million in today's money. Man, that is just awful. That is so funny. Uh, oh, all right. and I hate it. <laughs> it's just amazing. So uh, the tagline to this movie is long. Jesus. From another time comes a man of incredible power, period. He is immortal, period. Now he is about to face the ultimate challenge, period. At stake is the greatest prize imaginable, period. I don't like that. That's too many words. That might be a bottom three. Yeah. <laughs> tagline we've read on this show. Yeah, that that was meant to be a sentence, and I lost focus almost immediately. I just it was, was it was four sentences. It was four distinct sentences. That is anyway. so far off from what a tagline is. Tagline singular. Oh God. Anyway, um, this movie has no major awards wins nor nominations. Um, it is about an immortal Scottish swordman must confront the last of his immortal opponents a okay actually the the word opponent is misspelled as singular it should be plural <laughs> so even the taglines fucked up or description um 
the last of his immortal opponents, a murderously brutal barbarian who lusts for the fabled prize. Corwin, this is your pick, so you go ahead and get us started. Uh, this is my first time watching this film all the way through. Uh, and my recollection of it is being one of my dad's favorite movies and something that he would watch anytime it was on TV. Um, and being like eight, I didn't really read into movies all that much. So it was just kind of what it was. This was so fucking hard to watch. I do not know where it fits on the barrier of so bad it's good because it walks that line. And my goodness, that is not a line you want to watch. Walk, I should say. Wow, this is just like garbage. This is, this is difficult. Christopher Lambert is truly one of the worst actors I've ever seen in my life. This was such a truly horrible performance by a leading actor. I do not understand how he was cast in this. Yeah, and this, I mean, this is the only thing I know him from and probably for the best. I don't know a single thing he's in. Like, it's, um, it's not like I know him from this, but recognize him in anything else. I genuinely don't know if he's ever done another series of films. IMDb classifies his top four known for movies as being Highlander, the Highlander 95 two. version of Mortal Kombat. Of course. Some movie from 92 called Fortress and some movie from 85 called Subway. Hmm. Do you know a single one of those films? I know the first two, Highlander and Mortal Kombat. I have right. no idea what the fuck those other two are. Like, I Which haven't even is heard usually of not great for your top four in IMDb. No. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, so this movie is a mess. It's a mess because it's bad. The writing is bad. But also one of the things that immediately stands out to you while watching this is that the actual real-time plot, you know, the part that takes place in contemporary 1986, that in theory is, you know, the meat of the movie. Yeah. Is only like 30-40% of this film. Most of this movie is exposition and, and backstory. And also not explicitly stated as being like the A storyline. Because it took me most of the way through the film to figure that out. Right. And honestly, and this movie weirdly enough, like starts off on a high note. Like this movie yes. bring, it gets you right into it. The sh honestly, like the shot that it leads you in on circling the boxing match is actually a very cool shot. Loved that shot. And while the sword fight in the parking garage, I think is so awkwardly done that it, at times was challenging to know how many people were down there, even though I knew it was only two. Uh -huh. um, it was still fun. Like it was fun because nothing had been ruined yet. It's two dudes having a sword fight. You don't know why. But after that, it takes so long to get back to that point that it kind of loses any of the goodwill it had built with you in the beginning. Like the... Yeah. The, 
the investigation part is awkward. The fact that Christopher, what's his fucking name? Lambert had Lambert. gotten like arrested. And then, I mean, it, it didn't really matter the second after it happened and he got out. Um, all takes backseat to you spending time with Sean Connery, who was Egyptian, but dressed like a Spaniard. So yeah. that was weird. With just a Scottish accent because yep. it's Sean Connery and is incapable of doing anything else. Yep. Um, which by all means, sure. Go for it. Like that's what you do. We know what we're getting with Sean Connery. Like it, I can accept that at this point being such a fan of his, like I know I'm not getting like a Christian Bale performance. I am getting Sean Connery. I'm not getting a character. I'm getting Sean Connery's. But like um, they did it so poorly. Like there was a, you know, a joke in there where Sean Connery asked Christopher Lambert, like what's, what's Haggis? And Christopher Lambert's like, it's, it's sheep's uh, stomach stuffed with like mincemeat and rice and shit. And Sean Connery was like, well, what do you do with it? And Christopher Plummer was like, yeah, yeah, eat it. And it's like, look. Plummer. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Chris, Christopher I would love if Lambert. Christopher Plummer was in this. That would be such better a better movie. movie. Immediately, yeah. Um, but it's like, so you're telling me, you're fucking telling me that Sean Connery has existed long enough in Scotland as an Egyptian Spaniard <laughs> that he is fully speaking with a Scottish brogue, but he also has no idea what haggis is and has never tried it, heard of it, seen it, anything. Why are we here? I think if this was a better movie, that being a funny little, like, tongue-in-cheek, like, little moment would be fucking hilarious and we'd both love it. But because of the rest of this film is utter shit, like truly utter just like high school film class type shit. Oh my God. This is absolutely high school. Like some of the shots in this are fucking stupid. Like it's not like they're bad. It's not that they don't work. It's just like, that is a stupid way to attempt to get any information across whatsoever. And my goodness, the acting all around is fucking awful. Like what direction were they given? Truly, oh, I what direction were they given? Yeah, seriously. I mean, why does Christopher Lambert's accent come and go when he can just be Scottish the whole time? Yeah. Just let him be, like, just fucking let him be Scottish the whole time. It, it doesn't matter. Anyway, anyway, I have, I have an important question for you. Sure. Why can there be only one? Magic. Fucking... No, I mean, completely serious. Did I miss this? Why can there be only one? Oh, literal? That's just what they say. I don't know. Because, I have absolutely no idea. Because it's so confusing. Because <laughs> at one point, yeah. you know, there's, uh, there's mm-hmm. you would assume, four of these guys alive at one time. Christopher Lambert's character, Sean Connery's character, Clancy Brown's character, and then whoever Christopher Lambert kills in the first scene of the movie assuming he's alive at the same time as the other three, which I think would be a reasonable assumption. So you got at least four immortals alive at the same time. And two of those guys last for, I don't know, like three, 400 years after that, some shit. Yeah. Seemingly just fine. Uh So why does there need to only be one? 
so what I was able to piece together is that like this bullshit only happens during like this period of time where like there's like a calling it's or like it was the gathering some shit like that and it's oh, like the, no the, the quickening well that's like what everything is called like overall like what the magic bullshit is but like there's like a gathering part of it where that's when we kill each other and it comes down to being only one and i don't get it i really like just don't get it but at the same time i'm just going to accept it so uh, yeah I don't the know. goal of there being only one is that you get the prize you're sure. the last I'm, I'm researching this as we're on air as uh, which the prize which is uh, given to the final immortal um which uh, also begs the question how are there immortals are there constantly new immortals born so many questions but anyway um and after you kill all of the other immortals you collect every quickening oh my god this is so stupid the exact this. rewards that come with the prize are unspecified <laughs> but are hinted at and referred to in the movies and series as maybe including the ability to dominate all of mankind the ability to know what mortals are thinking, the combined quickening energy and experience of all immortals, and the ability to render oneself mortal, thus becoming able to bear children. Shut up. Because of the implied power of the, of the prize, Ramirez, that's Sean Connery's character, stated that the Kurgan, which is uh, Clancy, what's it, Clancy Brown's character, uh, is the strongest of all the immortals. He's the perfect warrior. If he wins the prize, mortal man would suffer an eternity of darkness. Yeah, it keeps going on. But he was the oh, worst. Clancy. He was the actual worst. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the worst character. Like he's not a terrible actor. Like he's had some good roles. That was dog shit. Well, Corwin, in case you're wondering why that might be, it's because the director signed him before ever meeting him and was shocked to learn when they met in person he did not speak fucking english did he really not really he from i thought he was fucking english no no that guy's from like russia or some shit oh, i'm looking oh, it shit. up yeah so if you look at he the has movie such again, a good american accent in other films i mean he maybe he you know got one afterwards um but all of his lines are, are are dubbed. No shit. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, ridiculous, but hilarious. Oh, no, sorry. I had it backwards. Christopher Lambert had just learned to speak English. Oh, that makes so much more sense. Because he seems like the kind of guy that doesn't speak English because that was awful. So, which is also confusing because he was makes born so in New York. That makes so much more sense. So wait, he was born in New York. They left the U.S. when he was two because his father was a U.N. diplomat and got sent to Sweden. Sure. But, but his parents were, they must have spoke English. They were, oh, whatever. I'm not even going to try to dissect this. This is so stupid. 
This is so dumb. It is really fucking stupid. Yeah. Um it there's no good entry point to making this film interesting because uh the romance part of it, who gives a fuck? I mean, the, I, we've talked about this so many times on the show, but it, know what your movie is and know when a romance plot is necessary. Fight Club made total sense. Yeah. This movie? Absolutely not. Why is this here? It, it doesn't track at all. Chances are you're getting a lot of dudes watching this for fights. And um, that because that's all it is. Nothing deeper than that. This is a surface level movie. And because of that, we do not need um, hot investigatress looking to investigate some crimes. Um, looking to find out how old the swords are. <sighs> Which also is so fucking stupid, and if I may, um, because it's so fucking dumb. There's no reason for the sword technology to predate actual sword technology. Like, that doesn't add to the mystique of the fact that these people are immortals. It adds to the questions of how did they get the weapons? They can, the um, immortals could still have been killing each other, whatever, 20,000 years ago, or who gives a shit using fucking rocks like there didn't need to be super extra old swords before the technology to make swords was invented it's fucking stupid believe it or not people killed people before there were swords yeah who the fucking sword swords did not invent murder (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) oh god imagine that's why they ever said it and it's not like there was ever anything that indicated like the swords give them their power no. They fought with other weapons. Right, or that like the swords were somehow tied to the concept of immortality and the swords always existed. Like, no, like like it, 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 it never came up. It had nothing to do with anything. It was a pointless point. And, it was uh, a pointless movie. Yeah, and like I was saying, there's really no good entry point because you don't care about what's happening in the present because it's sporadic and uninteresting. He owns an antique shop? Why? Why does he need a fucking career? I don't stop th- it. I thought that was just his house. No, it was it was an act. It was, it was his antique shop. <laughs> that was an antique. What antique shop looks like that? I don't know. Okay, that should not be what I have issues with in this movie. <laughs> it's, it's so bad you're gonna have issues with everything. But so you don't That's care true. about the stuff happening in the present. When it flashes back to stuff in the past, you know it's the past. So you don't want to get, you're not going to get emotionally invested in what is, once again, just exposition. That's weird to get invested in. You treat flashbacks as brief, like pauses in the action of the film to give you a sense of greater attachment to the characters in real time in the movie, not to build attachment with long stretches of scenes from the past, because that's not going to help you build towards what's going on going forward so you don't give a fuck about that shit and what else is there for you in this movie yeah it is uh it's bad i'm i'm genuinely sorry i picked this like i give you shit for picking movies that i end up hating because it's easy to i feel bad for making us both watch this hey man it's it's all about the journey. We're we're here to we're here to learn and express ourselves. So that's yeah, all good. In the hood. In the hood. Um, I have I, nothing. Okay, Josh, I'm gonna say this. Yes. I think the porn parody would be a better movie. Oh, don't tell me there's a porn parody. 
there has to a movie like this made in the 80s there was a porn parody exists are you looking it up oh no god no i'm not putting that in my search okay okay i was pausing in case you were going to do that so now that you're not um this was your film corwin please tell me what you think of it i will give it review a one point five because at the end of the day you can enjoy this you can get really fucking stoned and enjoy this and just the least amount of mental processing that you can have watching a movie and enjoy this movie um that's about it though uh yeah i'm i'm giving this a one because i i don't i I just don't like it too short Um, and it's 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 just not well done, and um, I hope to avoid having to watch it again. Fair enough. I'm right so, there with you. I'm now down a small rabbit hole of porn parodies, <laughs> at least like titles of porn parodies, and man, there are some hilarious ones. Ah, uh, oh, but I don't see one for Highlander. No Highlander. I just don't believe that. I have a taxi driver one. Why? How about Lord of the Lord of the Rings, but Lord of the G strings? Well, I have that one actually on Blu-ray, but how about Texas Chainsaw Vibrator? <laughs> Napornian Dynamite? <laughs> okay, these are really good. Oh man, yeah, these are some of these are really funny. Hori Potter and the Sorcerer's Balls. <laughs> Carol Loft Womb Raider. Edward Penis Hands. Edward Penis Hands. Raiders of the Lost Arse. <laughs> oh man, some of these are really good. Oh, all right, that's enough of that. Um, all right, so I guess uh, let's get into next week's picks. Uh, Corwin, what you got for us for oh, next week? Oh, Jesus. I, don't, I didn't pick one yet. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with a movie that I'm planning on watching tonight that John Boy just talked about and seems so funny. I just want to watch it again. I'm going to go with Superbad. Oh, right on. I can't believe we haven't done that on the show yet. Right? Yeah, cool. Uh, I'm going to go with another 1999 revisit for me, because I was thinking about after watching this one. I'm going to go with The Matrix. Ooh. I'm proud of that one. I like that one. All right. So that is 2007's Superbad and 1999's The Matrix. Check them out. Give them their watches before uh, we get into it next week. If you want to follow the show on Twitter beforehand, you can do so at Juicing Pod. If you want to, nope, that's the wrong show. That's our sports podcast. So check that one out too. Juice the numbers. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Big Screen Juice for this one. If you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at um, Corwin Heller. If you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. And uh, until next time, y'all have a good one. Bye.